Get unfiltered lessons from our leaders at AHF as we uncover real, raw stories of where we came from and where we are going. Join us for an unscripted look at the connections our senior leadership have to our mission, core values, and hot initiatives. AHF is the world's largest HIV AIDS service organization operating in 45 countries globally, 16 states domestically, including DC and Puerto Rico. Our mission is to provide cutting edge medicine and advocacy, regardless of ability to pay. Hello, and welcome to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hogan, serving as your liaison to take you through this journey to learn more about AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Before we start the show, please make sure to remember to check out the show notes so you can follow along. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the After Hours Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lauren Hogan, and today we have a very special episode because we are talking about women. Okay, I'm excited. We have an amazing group of speakers here today, and we're going to get into all things that AHF does to support women. Um, So first and foremost, I want to introduce our lovely speakers today. Um, Cyan, I'll start with you. Just tell us who you are and what your role is here at AHF. Hi, everyone. I'm Cyan Clardy. I'm the Associate Director for Global Advocacy Operations, and I've been with AHF about five years now. Sandy Ann? Hello, everyone. My name is Sandy Ann Monroe. I'm the Associate Director of HR for the Southern Bureau, and I've been with AHF for seven years. Um, When I'm not the Associate Director of HR for the Southern Bureau, I'm the National President of Spark United. And Cassandra? Hi. I hope everyone's doing amazing. So my name is Cassandra Espera. I'm an SRT pharmacist, and I've been with HF for about four years now. And I am also Park or Spark United. I'm actually the director of advocacy. And Kemi? Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Kemi Badamasi, and I work with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation as the director for advocacy policy and marketing for the Africa Bureau. I'm also the coordinator of Girls Act um, for the Africa Bureau. I'm proud to say that I'm also one of the co-initiators of Girls Act. So thank you guys all for being with us today. Um, So you guys mentioned what your respective roles are. So we're going to dive deeper into that. So Cyan and Kemi, I want to go to you guys first. Um, Tell us a little bit about Girls Act, how it got started and kind of what its purpose is. I'll throw that to Kemi as one of the founding co-mothers of the program. (laughs) All right. Um, Thank you very much. So Girls Act started in 2016 um, and um, basically it was in response to the high rate of new HIV infections that we see amongst young women and girls. So for Africa, um, the, the statistics are higher and they've been higher since then. We've seen some decline, but um, for example, we have as much as um, 4,000 new infections every week um, when it comes to HIV. And um, in 2015, we had done what we called She's Her Ally, which was um, a, an initiative from the Global Advocacy Program. But as at that time, the Africa Bureau was also having conversations um, with respect to the number of new infections we were seeing with young women and girls. Um, the Bureau Chief, Dr. Penny, actually had a meeting with four of us. Um, the other three have left HF now. And she said, um, interestingly, we're all women. And she said, we're seeing such new, high new numbers of HIV infection, and this is not right. And we have to do something as an organization to address that. So one of the first things we did was to commission a research, a focus group discussion um, in Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria, and South Africa. And the reason was we wanted to find out 
uh, beyond what we see in the numbers, what were the drivers of these new infections um, amongst young women and girls um, as a way to inform um, the programmatic direction that we were going to take. And so when the feedback or the results from the focus group came, uh, we, we realized that it wasn't just about the new infection rates. It was also issues around gender-based violence. It was issues around lack of access to education for girls, issues around poverty, um, you know, and some harmful practices as well, gender inequalities. Those are some of the things that were driving um, the infection rates. And that led us to start Girls Act. Um, Girls Act basically um, looks at creating opportunities for girls to live healthier lives and for girls to be able to thrive. And it doesn't only focus on young women and girls living with HIV. In fact, the primary objective of Girls Act is to prevent new HIV infections amongst young women and girls aged 10 to 24. But because we also know that we do have girls who are within that age bracket who are HIV positive, Girls Act also extends beyond prevention to also ensure that girls who are positive um, receive all the tools and support they need to stay in care. And just to add to that, too, um, you know, we're helping the young women and girls also reduce unplanned pregnancies and keep them in school. And so, you know, Kemi had um, kind of started the program in the Africa Bureau, I think uh, four countries and then with Haiti. And now we're in, you know, 34 plus countries with some new countries being onboarded for 2023. So that's really exciting. Um, So we're looking forward to all the fun updates that are coming from them as well. Amazing, amazing work. Um, so Sandy Ann and Cassandra, I want to turn it over to you guys. Um, tell us a little bit about Spark, um, how it got started, and ultimately what purpose does it serve? Um, so Spark is a uh, affinity group of AHF. Um, it got started when someone in the organization thought that there needed to be an affinity group dedicated to uh, women and uh, AHF's female client base um, as well. Um, and at the planning point, I stepped in, I, I helped with planning. I didn't think at the time that I would be leading Spark. I just thought I was helping to bring an idea together. And fast forward three to four years now, um, we've been, you know, trucking through the affinity world of, of AHF and trying to get our name out there to as many women as possible. So uh, we work um to provide as well to assist us as much with nurturing the overall health and well-being of women and girls um, everywhere of all ages. Um, and that's uh, we, we, we try to tackle that through providing access, re- resources and knowledge that's relevant. Um, so right now, relevant stuff would be voting power, menstrual poverty, um, uh, equity and equality. And honestly, anything after that, uh, those are relevant in, in society, but uh, also what's relevant for a woman personally. So we also take personal um, initiatives and um, things that's going on in, in our society today. Cassandra, anything you want to add? Yeah, sure. Just to add to that. So I remember in 2018 when I started at AHF, just a few months in, I had like a patient and she just found out she was diagnosed and she 
um, contracted it from her husband and she was Caribbean and she was asking me like, how does she talk to her partner about it? So she's like, do you guys have any organizations? So just as I was walking out, I ran into Sandy Ann and I was like, Sandy Ann, do we have anything like this? And she had happened to just take over Spark. And I thought that was a great opportunity to, you know, join this organization that empowers women. There's other programs that we do, such as like support the period poverty initiative, which is what that means is that there's a lot of girls around United States, like even in the county that we work in, like Broward County and Florida, that don't go to school when they have their period. So if you can just supply them with like a year supply of pads or tampons, that could change the trajectory of their life and make sure that they stay in, you know, in school and get an education. So we do some of those initiatives and we do like little toiletry bags to just help, you know, girls and women. And like, that's just a start to make sure they have their confidence so they can feel empowered as they go into society and try to thrive. So I want to dive more into the program and you guys kind of touched on it, for instance, with the period poverty that you just talked about. Um, So Cyan and Kemi, can you guys dive deeper into what your programs consist of and um, all of the different things, honestly, that are needed within these programs to make sure that we're serving girls in your respective areas? I can uh, start and I'll throw it back to Kemi. Um, you know, one of the main um, program initiatives is, like we mentioned, HIV and STI screening and treatment, um, menstrual health uh, management and hygiene, uh, school support, so anything like giving uh, uniforms, books, school fees to the girls, um, even transportation fees so they can either get to school or get to the clinic to get their medication. Um, and then comprehensive sexual education, which is something that uh, Kemi is championing, uh, especially from the Africa Bureau and most recently in our International Day of the Girl Child. So, uh, Kemi, a little bit more about that. Okay. Um, I would say for the Africa Bureau, when it comes to Girls Act, we're working with four main pillars uh, because those four pillars help us to crystallize the different areas that um, we target. So one of it is knowledge, skills building, um, information. And under that, some of the things we do for the girls is income generating activities because we do realize um, the power imbalance that exists uh, between men and women um, and even very prevalent on the continent in Africa. And part of it is usually around issues of financial reliance or financial independence. So we do have income generating activities where girls learn different, um, whether it's apprenticeship or social enterprise um, that they can use to generate resources. And that cuts across from learning to make hair or, you know, to tailor an outfit or even just things around makeup and cosmetology, anything that can help them generate resources um, that comes under that. And then mentorship as well. We understand the power of mentorship, role modeling, and having women in the community and the society that the girls can look up to to inspire them um, towards greatness. So we do have mentorship programs. We have the peer-to-peer support and peer-to-peer leadership training where girls um, empower each other. They go into communities. They talk to girls um, like them. Uh, under that as well, we, we look at um, the second part, which is reducing HIV infections and STIs, like Cyan talked about. And that's where we have the scholarship program. So girls get opportunities um, to receive funding through the Girls Act to go back to school. So they're able to go back to school, continue education. Uh, for some girls, it's just a provision of scholastic materials. That's what they're lacking. So we meet that need. For some, it's menstrual health, sanitary pads. So Girls Act actually does donate sanitary pads, not only to Girls Act members, but even the communities that Girls Act exist in. Uh, we have um, another bit, which is the championing um, um, girls' 
empowering girls to have to champion their own agency because we understand the power of agency for girls um, to be able to use their own voices and also engage decision makers. So some of what we do is training girls on leadership, training them on communication, um, training them on advocacy. But beyond that is creating opportunities for girls to meet with decision makers at different levels. So we've had Girls Act members who have had interface with parliamentarians to champion their causes and, you know, talk about why they need free sanitary pads or why they need comprehensive sexuality education or why they need access to sexual reproductive health or need to address stigma now for girls who are positive. And then the last bit is the psychosocial support. Remember I talked about the fact that some Girls Act members, in fact, a lot of Girls Act members are living with HIV. So there's always that need to keep the psychosocial support going um, for girls. So that's also another part of the program that um, that we support um, girls in. So around that, you have the peer-to-peer support a lot, but then other um, support that girls need. And in some cases where we have like GBV um, cases, um, girls are able to be supported if they do need access to maybe legal redress or if they need access to post-exposure prophylaxis or um, if you just need support to get through um, that, we're able to partner with organizations that that is their wheelhouse um, to provide um, that support to girls. But beyond that is also creating opportunities for girls to access things like cervical cancer screening, um, focus on you know ending teenage pregnancies as well as engaging men and boys. So we, in as much as Girls Act is focused on girls, we also are mindful and we recognize the fact that they come from communities that also have boys and men and then structures that are patriarchal in nature that also need um, to be changed. So part of what we do is to also involve boys and men in conversations around menstrual health, GBV. So there's usually a lot of community dialogues. There's usually a lot of um, visiting schools to educate schools and, you know, just you know, supporting girls and, and boys as well to get the needed services. So those are some of the programs that Girls Act does. And so, Cami, can you just tell us, because so, our listeners may not know, what is GBV? What is that acronym, just so they're aware? Okay, sorry. so GBV um, is the acronym for gender-based violence. So in, in our own case, we would look at things like rape, which is usually prevalent, things like child marriage or female genital mutilation, which are all things that also expose um, increases girls' risk to HIV, and they're prevalent in a number of our countries um, on the continent. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Sandy Ann and Cassandra, I want to just turn it over to you to kind of take a deeper dive into some of the programs and initiatives that Spark has, and then um, I want to kind of tie something else together, but go ahead. Right. So thank you so much. So Spark, we're working towards a lot of different initiatives. Our most recent project is we're going to participate with the Department of Health to have a gala that honors the black and brown people in the community doing the work. So we're going to have like a, a, a gala that's in partnership with them to just make sure the people that, you know, the unsung heroes, right? So it's like there's a lot of people that's doing the work that doesn't get the honor. So we're going to work towards that. And also our goal is to build collaborations in the community so that we can expand the opportunities we have to influence the people in the community because we want to make sure that our girls understand the resources that we offer at AHF in order for them to, you know, prevent STIs and HIV and also empower them to, you know, develop as leaders. Sandy, anything you want to add? I'd just like to also add that um, 
while we're doing this work, we realize that um, uh, resources, education, and um, just knowing um, helps to do so much to empower a woman. And that's really why we, those, you know, that's what we show up with um, off the bat. Um, the basic resources, access to knowledge, always changing our spaces where we're teaching something very similar to what Kemi mentioned. We're teaching something. You're leaving knowing something valuable to add to your life, whether that's knowing uh, knowing how to, how to budget, you know, planning a basic budget based on what you have. Um, so we're very education, knowledge, resource-based, and we think that's what really helps to drive us and create a name out in the community for us. Go ahead, Cassandra. And also to add, you know, we're in a climate where, you know, abortion rights is being challenged in the political climate. We're also really letting people know in the community that we are here and we will offer Plan B for you at no cost. This is an initiative that AHF did take on, which I think that has sparked that we're in a position to be able to promote that and to make sure that people who need access get access. So my next thing that I want to kind of talk to you guys about, because there's a lot of similarities in this one area that you guys have for your programming, and that's around um, menstrual health. So, you know, through Girls Act, you guys are doing, you know, period education. You guys are providing, you know, pads to so many women because, you know, some of these girls are actually not able to attend school and for myriad other reasons just because, you know, they're getting a menstrual cycle. And then Spark on you guys' end, you're creating hygiene kits and different things like that as well. So... In your respective purviews, why do you guys think that menstrual health and equality is so important? Um, Sayan, I'll start with you. Sure. So, um, you know, one of the biggest things that we've talked about is the lack of access to sanitary pads is keeping girls out of school. Um, I, I was looking at some statistics and one in 10 girls in sub-Saharan, sub-Saharan Africa miss uh, school due to the period. That's 20% of the school year. So that's a significant amount of time that they're out of school. Um, you know, in addition to, you know, giving out sanitary pads, we're teaching the girls how to learn about their body, um, learning how to speak with their peers, their family, the stigma, talking with the young boys, you know, in their classrooms, so they don't tease them and, and make them feel like they can't come to school. Um, you know, in a lot of countries, we're seeing that Girls, when they start their period or when they have their period, they're ostracized from their community. And so it's not that they just don't go to school. They might have to go into like a hut. And I'm serious about this, like in their community and be in like solitary confinement because just because they're on their period. And this is something that is so natural. Right. And so it's kind of addressing the patriarchy, learning how to speak with the community and have the girls advocate for themselves and say, you know, this is not right. This is a normal something that's happened to my body. I shouldn't be stigmatized for it. So it's not just, you know, the in-kind, you know, kind of donations aspect to it. Sandy Ann? So um, achieving menstrual health and, you know, is fundamental to equality, rights, dignity. Uh, It's basically very similar to what Cyan was saying. Um, to everyone who ha- who goes through uh, menstruating. And these days, it's not just uh, people that appear to be women. There's some persons in the transgender community that may also go through this. Um, so in the U.S., we found that 23% of students in the U.S. have struggled to afford menstrual products. 51% of um, Women or girls in the U.S. have worn menstrual products for longer than recommended. And 38% of women 
just can't afford it due to um, financial and just lack of access in their areas. Um, so for generations um, of girls and women, you know, just we, we, we find that it's, it's important because it, it's, it happens. It, it's something that all women go through or, or all um, persons that has had a, 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 a female part of them. Um, and we, we want to make it a little bit easier, a little bit more social normal. And uh, we just believe that it should be accessible. You know, it's not, it, it just should be accessible. Cassandra? Just know that, you know, women get ostracized from activities such as like eating certain foods and having social socializing. Like they kind of have to be like quarantined literally when they have their period at times in other parts of the world. So it's definitely important that this become a priority globally to help women gain access. And I believe that having providing it at the schools, finding a way to assist the schools in providing it would be a great opportunity. And just know that one out of five girls around the world, they don't go to school because they're on their period and they have no access to the period products. Last but not least, uh, Kemi. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to paint more around the picture with equality and inequality when it comes to menstrual health. And, um, and I'm just going to paint it directly with schooling because um, the reason for that is, for example, in Africa, where um, I come from, you have more girls who are out of school than boys. And um, you also have a situation where in certain climes, um, there's a preference for boys' education over girls' education. So when girls don't have access to menstrual health products, it makes it a lot easier for parents to do the trade-off. So rather than you know commit resources in the family to buy sanitary pads for girls to go to school, parents would make an easier choice of keeping them out of school. And what follows after that is perhaps, you know, the girl getting off married. Um, we've had cases where girls, the moment they started their period, that was the end of schooling for them ever. There wasn't any conversation around schooling because it was easier for parents to say, you know what, I'd rather send your brother to school um, than send you to school because either way you're going to get married off. Now, the ripple effect of that is um, when girls are shut out of school, then, of course, you shut out the, um, the opportunity for them to have access to any kind of information or education that empowers them, whether it's education around their health, whether it's education around bodily autonomy, whether it's education around just basic economics of life. And what happens with that, with that is, and we see that, is there is the, the disparity in not just literacy rates, but also disparity in earning power. Because when girls are not able to go to school, what happens automatically? They're not able to fend for themselves. They're not able to be independent in terms of finance. And they do not have access even to the labor force at all because they do not have the education, which is the foundation. And so that's why menstrual health, it for a very long time, people were not paying attention to it until we started connecting the dots. So the dots connect not just to gender inequality, but even with HIV, because we've seen, and there are studies um, from Africa in a number of countries to show that when girls don't have access to sanitary pads, it pushes them to transgenerational sex or transactional sex. And in those transactional sex or transgenerational sex, 
they do not have the negotiating power to even negotiate for condom use because at that moment, they are at the mercy of the men who they are asking resources for to buy sanitary pads. And that in itself is where we started to see the link between lack of access to sanitary pads, to HIV infection rates or teenage pregnancy rates as well. And again, that just contributes to the vicious cycle of shutting girls out farther and farther away from education or any form of empowerment that allows them to be self-reliant or allows them to, to be financially literate or allows them to even contribute to building their communities and, you know, contributing resources to the communities or contributing um, to building their families. And they're not able to do that because of just the lack of access to sanitary pads. So that that is so giving girls access to sanitary pads to a large extent guarantees education and guarantees the benefits that education brings, whether it's for their health, whether it's for their economic um, or social economic well-being, whether it's for, you know, just basic their dignity and their ability to also lead in their communities. So we are at time, unfortunately. So I have one last question for you all, and that is with your respective programs, um, how can people get involved? Um, so Sandy Ann and Cassandra, I'll start with you guys so you can tell us how folks can get involved with Spark. Um, so there's a few ways to get involved. The easiest, most fast, quickest way would be to either follow us on Instagram and just send us a direct message or visit our website. Um, it's www.sparkunited.org. There you can sign up for our, one of our newsletters and also fill out a very brief form. It's just getting a basic information. And our normal response time is about 24 hours. So we'll give you a call with either that day or the next day to just chat about um, who we are, what we do, and find out some things that you're interested in and what your why is. Um, and so uh, sparkunited.org or follow us on Instagram at spark underscore the underscore convo. And Kemi and Cyan, how can we get involved with uh, Girls Act? Um, from a, a kind of an LA based HQ level, I think the best thing to do is just like, um, Sandy Ann said, share our stories from Instagram, share our e-blast. Um, that's the best thing you can do. And then locally, um, you know, if you're visiting or if you have family or friends on the ground is to connect with a country program manager and the, and the country coordinators for Girls Act. Uh, Kemi's, you know, our lead for the Africa Bureau. So she, she can hook you up if you want to get involved. And just to add to what Cyan said, because um, that's also a conversation that the bureaus are having now with the, the global advocacy team, and that is um, to create opportunities where which um, girls can connect, even with AHS staffers who are in different parts of the world. Um, that's something that we've been talking about, um, just creating opportunities for girls to either write or even, and if, if, if there's staff or who are interested, you could also just write and to want to connect with the girls. I, I, I do know that that's something that a lot of them are always very happy um, to receive when they hear um, from others about, you know, how they feel inspired by the work that the Girls Act is doing. So those are some other ways. And you could also donate as well. Um, right now, we're having more girls who need support to go back to school. Um, we're having more girls who need support with sanitary pads. So if you feel that this is something that you feel strongly about, you could also donate to help sponsor a girl to go back to school. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a fantastic episode. And I really just want to say amazing, amazing work. Thank you for all that you do. And we look forward to seeing all of the work that you will continue to do in the future. Um, as always, this was an amazing episode and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining us. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please subscribe, share it with your friends, like, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow us on Instagram at After Hours and see you next time.